Well, my guess is that somewhere this week you probably took a shower or a bath. At least the folks sitting around you right now really hope that sometime in recent days that you did that. And maybe when you were drying off or whatever after that, you noticed the fact in the mirror or whatever that you have a belly button, right? You have a belly button. I realize that for some of us it's easier to see our belly button than others, but but you have a belly button. And you say, well, why in the world are you pointing this out? Because this is what I know about those of us who have belly buttons. There are at least two things that are true of those of us who have belly buttons. The first thing is that means that you were created in the image of God. You were created in the image of God and you have have incredible worth and incredible value because you have been intentionally and purposefully created in the image of God. But what I also know about those of us who carry around this belly button is that every one of us has had that image scarred and marred and distorted by the reality of sin. The sin within us and the sin that surrounds us in the world in which we function and operate and live. It is the sin that that has come to us uh, through those who went in front of us, Adam and Eve, uh, those perhaps without belly buttons, uh, who passed that along uh, to us uh, along with those belly buttons. And because we live in a world that is marred and scarred and distorted by sin, because of the reality of sin within us, There are things that all of us have to deal with. There are things that we have to learn to deal with, things that we have to to grow and mature in our capacity to handle as followers of Jesus Christ. And the list could be very, very long, but for the sake of this series, we're just going to look at five. We're going to look at five things that all of us commonly have to deal with in a sin-scarred, marred world, Uh, things such as stress and fear, and criticism, and pain. We're going to begin by talking about something that all of us experience, even if we don't always admit it to ourselves, and that is that all of us are going to have to learn to deal with failure. All of us are going to have to learn to deal with failure. And what I know about myself and what I know about you is that every one of us has failure. We have failure. May we fail to live up to our potential. We failed to follow through. We failed in a relationship. We failed to, to reach a goal or a dream. We, we failed to at times live up to our God-given potential. On and on and on it goes. But failure is a part of living in this sin-scarred world. It's part of what we all experience as we carry around those belly buttons, right? It's part of all of our lives, but it is essential that we learn how to deal well with failure because failure is inevitable. But another part of this reality that we must learn to deal with is the Bible tells us that we have a spiritual enemy. We have a spiritual enemy and that there is a spiritual warfare that takes place. And that spiritual enemy is a master. He's a master at using some of the things we're going to talk about, but he's a master of using fear. He uses the fear of failure on the front end and then turns around and beats us up with failure on the back end. And you may be experiencing or have experienced both of those before. Jesus described the enemy of our soul with these words, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
He wants to to, to steal the life that God designed you for. He wants to to destroy the activity of God. He he, he wants to to, to kill the the purposes of God that he wants to live out through you. And he uses failure to do that. Sometimes he keeps us with a fear of failure. He keeps us from stepping out in faith. He, He keeps us from taking a bold step of obedience because we hear that whisper, what if you fail? What if you fall flat? What if this happens, that happens? And so we we hesitate. We hesitate to go all in with God. We hesitate to go full out in our obedience along the way. And then those times when we failed, we we, we stumbled in the face of sin again. We failed to to, to do what we said we were going to do or whatever it may be. And in those moments, then the enemy begins to whisper to us, who did you think you were? You'll never, God can never use you. I mean, after what you've done, after what you said, after what you failed to do, forget it. And, and what I know is that there are far too many people, even people who hang out in church, who have let the enemy take a failure. And that failure begins to define them. And that failure begins to dictate to them what they understand God will or won't do in their lives. And what I want to suggest to you is that there's a better way. There's a more biblical way to deal with failure. And that's what I want us to kind of to coach you on, I guess, a little bit this morning, if I can. Uh, and I want to do that by looking at, and there's lots of things that the Scripture has to say about failure for sure. But I want to look at uh, what I'm just going to call a formula. It's, it's found in, in the writings of a guy by the name of Paul in a letter he wrote to the Philippians. And, and in that letter, he, he tells a little bit of his story. But in that, what we find is uh, what we're going to call a two-part formula for dealing with failure. If you remember Paul's story, he, he was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, this, this achiever, this self-righteous guy who, who came to understand that, that he was not actually working with and for God. He was actually working against God. And he looked back with great regret of the, the people he had imprisoned and even lives that had been taken on all part of what he was doing along the way. But God didn't allow that failure to define him. And in so doing, Paul models for us what it means to successfully deal with our failure. And I want you to see that two-part formula. And it's tucked away in Philippians chapter 3, familiar words. Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking about his former life. And he talked about how he was the Pharisee of Pharisees and how self-righteous he was. All this stuff that at one time he thought was of such great value. He was this persecutor, this zealot of the church. Uh, And all of that he came to see as rubbish, as junk and came to understand that that was just an abject failure. But he didn't let that continue to define him. Look at, it, look at what he wrote at beginning in chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, as he's talking about all that, that God has for him. Not that I've already obtained this or already am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, and here's the two-part formula, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ 
Jesus. Two parts to this formula, but lots of uh, things that we kind of unpack around that. The first part of this formula is forgetting. Forgetting what lies behind. Now, immediately maybe when you read a word like that, you begin to think, well, well did Paul suddenly have this case of amnesia? Or, or are we saying we should live in denial and just like not, not acknowledge what's happened in our past? That, that, that's, not, that's not what Paul is saying at all. Paul actually uh, remembered, he remembered his failures, but he chose to no longer be controlled by his failures. You know that he remembered him if you go in Acts and he talks about his testimony. Even here in Philippians, he talks about his former way of life. He remembered his past. It's not that he could not uh, cognitively call it to his consciousness. He remembered his past, but what he said, forgetting it, I'm not going to longer let that control my life. I'm no longer going to let that to be the, the defining part of my life. And, and it really, in many ways, comes down to how do you view failure. How do you view failure? Because your view of failure is going to go a long way to determining whether you let that failure control you or whether you have the God-given capacity to move beyond that failure. And maybe to set this up, I want to use a little water here. And this is not going to be a magic trick, but just glass water, just plain. Let me pour some in here. Okay, I'm going to pause. All right. I don't know how much you can see there in the back, but got some water in there. And, of course, at this point, there's always kind of the classic question, right? Is the glass half full or half empty, right? And some of us, perhaps by default, we, we kind of tend to lean toward half full people. And so sometimes we say, well, I'm more optimistic. I'm half, the glass is half full. And other folks may say, well, maybe I lean the other way. I kind of see what's not there in the gap. And it's like, I think about it as half empty. You tend to have a default setting right? You and I have a default setting when it comes to how we view failure. But I want to suggest to you maybe even a different way to look at that glass this morning. Can I suggest to you that that glass is not half full or it's not half empty? It's actually completely full. It's completely full. It's full of water and air. It's full of water and air. It is completely full. And you say, well, you're just playing some word games here. I'm trying to get you to maybe think a little differently. See, you probably had a default setting when you look at a glass like that. You have a default setting when you look at failure. And that default setting may not be serving you very well. How we view failure goes a long way to determining how we will deal with our failure. And so even as I suggested to you maybe a different way to look at this glass this morning, I want to suggest to you maybe some different ways to look at failure. I, I want us to, to, to begin to, to view failure a, a, a little differently. First, let's just view failure. It's an inevitable part of being human. 
If you have a belly button, you deal with failure, all right? You're going to deal with your personal failure, a failure to do or a failure you didn't do or whatever it may be, but you're also going to have to deal with the failure of other human beings that impacts your life. That's reality. That's reality in a sin-marred, scarred, and distorted world. Failure is an inevitable part of being human. Our plans fail to materialize. They fail to fulfill. We fail to, to achieve. We fail to, to, to reach our maximum potential, whatever it may be. Other people fail us along the way. It is an inevitable part of being human. Just because you experience failure doesn't mean you're unique. It means you're human and you have a belly button, all right? It is an inevitable part of being human. Failure is also an event. It is not a person. It's an event, not a person. And, and here's, here's what I know. There are some folks that are going to sit in this room this morning who they define themselves by a failure. They define themselves by a sin. They define themselves by something in their past. They not only had a failure, but they came to see themselves as a failure. Those who deal with failure successfully understand failure is an event. It's not a person. It does not have to define the rest of my life. It does not have to define my understanding of who I am. It's an event, not a person. Failure is a moment, not a monument. It's a moment. It's a moment in time. It's a snapshot of this of this happened at this moment. This happened in, in this episode or this season of my life. But but don't build a monument there. Don't, don't build a monument that says this is forever going to be me. This is forever going to be my behavior. We'll Rogers famously said, don't let yesterday take up too much of today. Don't let your yesterday take up too much of your today. And too often we fall into that trap of letting yesterday, maybe it's yesterday's success, but oftentimes it's yesterday's failure. We let yesterday take up way too much of today. Now, some of us are on the other side. We let tomorrow take up way too much of today. But many of us, we let yesterday take up way too much of today. Failure is a moment. Don't build a monument to a moment. We need to begin to see failure as a bend in the road, not the end of the road. Listen, I said to you, you you have a belly button, but you're also still breathing, right? You're still breathing. You're here today. You're listening to this because you are still alive. You're still breathing. What that says to me is God's not finished with you yet. Despite your failure, despite whatever it is in your life, it is not the end of the road. It is a bend in the road. And if you'll allow him, God will use that failure to redirect you. Please hear me on this because this is so important. For some of you, I'm just convinced this is why God has you here this morning. Failure doesn't have to define you as a person, and it does not have to determine your future. It does not. 
Paul came to that understanding. He, he understood his failure. Yes, cognitively, he could bring it back. He could recount it to you over and over again. It was part of his story, but it did not define him. What defined him was the finished work of Jesus Christ. What defined him as a person was he was now a child of God by God's grace, by God's mercy, by God's love through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He came to understand that he now is a new creation, as he would write to the Corinthians. I am a new creature, a new person. It is no longer I who live, he would say to the Galatians, but Christ who lives in me. And because of that, that failure, his past, was not going to define who he was as a person, and it wasn't going to determine his future. What was going to determine his future were the choices he was going to make. Now, living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, now empowered by God's Holy Spirit. He came to understand failure does not have to define me. It does not have to determine my future. What defines me is my relationship with God. What determines my future are the choices that God empowers and enables me to make going forward. If I'm going to successfully deal with failure, I have to forget those things which lie behind, which begins with how I view my failures. But I want to press into that just a little bit more before we go to the second part of the formula. And that is, well, what, what does that begin to look like to kind of uh, forget those things which lie behind? Well, first it means I honestly take them to God. I, I mean, listen, no cover-up, no rationalizations, no justifications. Let's just, let's just come clean. Let's just say, God, here it is. Here it is. And some of you have heard me say for years now, it's not like you're going to surprise God with new information, right? It's not like if you get honest with God, here's the good, here's the bad, here's the ugly. God's going to be shocked by any of that. He already knows. Getting honest with God is not about giving him information that you've been hiding from him. It's about coming clean. It's about being transparent. It's about just getting it all out, bringing it into the light so that you can deal with it. Honestly, take those failures to God. And as a part of taking them to God, own up to your part in the failure. You may not have been 100% responsible, but you probably had a part. You can't control everybody else's choices. You're responsible for your choices. What did I do? What did I fail to do? Oh, what, what was my part in this? Very easy for us to fall into the victim role and say, well, they, if they had done this or if they had done that or I had more support or more resources or whatever it may have been. But if you're really going to deal well with it, you're going to have to say, God, God, here's, here's what happened. His best I know, honestly, here it is, and here is my part. I own it. I own it. This is my part in that failure. And as you bring that to God, then you're in a position to accept his forgiveness, uh, to come and just say, God, I have no hope. I mean, there's, there's nothing I could do to kind of undo it. God, I just come and I, I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. I need your salvation. I, I always think of, of one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Luke chapter 15. And Jesus stacks up those parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep. Uh, and then there's that, the, the lengthy parable of what we've come to know as the prodigal son. And, and I love that, that parable because of the picture. And, and it kind of pictures what we're talking about here. I mean, that younger son, he, he failed royally, right? 
I mean, he, he took the money, he took the resources from his dad, and he ran, and he wasted it, and he blew through it. And he ends up literally in the pig pen and realizing the pigs are eating better. And he finally comes to his senses. He, he kind of acknowledges, this is, honestly, this is my situation. This is my circumstance. And he begins to own his part in that. I did this. I took my dad's resources. I squandered them. I lived a, made a royal mess of this whole thing. I don't deserve anything. I don't even deserve to be a servant. And he says, I'm going to go back home. And I don't know what my father will do. And then that wonderful picture of a father who doesn't stand there with arms crossed and tap his foot and say, do groveling before me. But he runs and embraces his prodigal son. He kisses him and puts a, a, a robe around his shoulders and a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And there's a celebration as the son is restored, as the son is forgiven, not because he merited it, because of who the father was. But the son also had to accept that. He had to accept that embrace. He had to accept that forgiveness. Remember what I said, the enemy will try to intimidate you with fear of failure on the front end. He'll try to beat you up with failure on the back end. And one of the ways he'll try to beat you up is to say, God could never forgive you. God will never accept you. After what you've done, God will never use you. And I, what I know is that there are some of you in this room, some of you, that that's the whisper that you hear. That there's something there. Maybe you keep it in the closet because you sure don't want anybody to know about it. But there's something there. And because it's there, you hear the whispers of the enemy and says, you can't be used. You can't be forgiven. You can't be cleansed. And, and you have to come to accept God's forgiveness. Or sometimes somebody says, well, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Now, there's a whole lot of psychological mess right there, but let me just press into it theologically for just a moment. When I say that, what I am basically saying is a couple of things. One, probably I have higher standards than God, right? Because God forgave me, but not me, right? The other thing I'm saying is what Jesus Christ did was not enough. It was not enough. It was not enough for me to be forgiven. It was not enough for me to be cleansed. It was not enough for me to be restored and accepted by the Father. And that is an insult to the holiness and the grace and the provision of God. That's why it is essential that I take God at his word, that I accept his forgiveness. And then as a part of that, as I have the restoration of that vertical relationship, I may need to clear up. I may need to clear up any barriers between myself and another. Clear up any barriers between myself and another. Zacchaeus is a great New Testament example of that. As Jesus came and he, he experienced the, uh, the power of the Messiah right there. He experienced what it means to be forgiven by Christ. And as a part of that, he realized, hey, there, there are things in my past I'm not proud of. There are things that I've done that have, have not only been wrong and offensive to God, but it's hurt other people. I've cheated. I've swindled. I've taken advantage of people. And so what Zacchaeus 
does, he begins to make restoration. And because grace has touched his life, he's not just trying to, to kind of get by with as little as he can, but he's going over and above to try to restore, to try to clear up any barriers between himself and another. And it may be that for some of you, before you can move beyond the failure, before you can forget that which lies behind, you not only need to experience the cleansing that can only come through Jesus Christ, but there may be somebody you need to reach out to and try to clear up any barriers. And and listen, the reality of a sin-scarred world is that doesn't always work perfectly. Sometimes that person says no. Or sometimes, honestly, there's just nothing you can do that would ever make up for what you did or didn't do. But scripturally, to try to make restoration. But before we leave this first part of the formula, I, I want to suggest another perspective to some of you. And that is that that failure that you've been trying to minimize, that failure that you've been trying to cover up, that failure that you've been trying to justify, that failure that you've been trying to hide along the way, it may very well be that that failure is the thing that God's going to use most powerfully in your life to touch the lives of other people. Great example of that is Chuck Colson. And many of you know the name of Chuck Colson. Chuck was uh, kind of the hatchet man, if you will, for the Richard Nixon's White House. He, he, he did the stuff that needed to be done. He was passionate. He was hard. Uh, he was intelligent, smart, crafty, all of those things. Uh, but it also got to the point where he would cross legal lines to do what he thought needed to be done. And ultimately, it ended him up in prison. And interestingly enough, God used that failure to break him, to break him, to open him up to God's redeeming grace, to begin a new work of restoration in him. And out of that, Chuck Colson established Prison Fellowship, which became a platform for some other ministries and and touched no telling how many hundreds of thousands of prisoners and prisoners' families' lives have been touched. And on reflecting in his life, Chuck Colson wrote these words. The great paradox of my life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men and women who've been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize that the thing God has chosen to use in my life is none of the successes, achievements, degrees, awards, honors, or cases I won before the Supreme Court. That's not what God's using in my life. What God is using in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a convict and went to prison. That was my great defeat. The only thing in my life I didn't succeed in. And it is that that God has used most powerfully and continues to use now after Colson's death. Could it be that that failure that you're running from and not willing to come to grips with could be the greatest thing that God will use in your life to impact and touch the lives of other people. 
The first part of the formula, forgetting what lies behind, which means how I view my failure, which deals with how I positively deal with those things from my past. But the second part of the formula is to reach forward to what lies ahead. The ESV and other translations say straining, that, that, that imagery of, of effort, of energy, of athletic exertion that I'm, I'm straining. I, I, I don't want to just stay put. I don't want to just be static, but there's something that God has for me. There's something that God has, has placed a calling upon my life, and I want to fulfill that. I, I want to do and be everything that God wants me to be and everything that God wants me to do. And so there is this reaching forward to what lies ahead. And in order to do that, there's some things that, that are going to have to take place. I'm going to have to operate from a mindset that says, you know, I realize that God uses cracked pots, right? God uses cracked pots, and I'm glad because, man, there's a, there's a bunch of us who are cracked pots around here, right? I mean, we are. L- listen, live in a world where a lot's disposable, right? Uh, you, you know, if, it, if it, it doesn't work, a lot of times we, we just say it's cheaper to replace it than repair it, right? And so you, di- you junk it and you, you get something or you just replace it. God doesn't operate that way. God uses cracked pots. He uses damaged people. Because honestly, isn't that the only people he can use? Those of us who have belly buttons, right? That's, that's all he has to work with. And to go through the scripture and think about the cracked pots, the failures that God used. Abraham, lying, deceived, was willing to kind of sell his wife out to save his skin, right? Goodness. Moses ran away, tried to do it his own way, ends up hiding out on the backside of the desert for 40 years. When God calls, it feels like all, all the reasons he's not good enough and not able enough and not skilled enough. Yeah. On and on and on the list goes. David, we looked at his life a few months ago. Obviously an imperfect person along the way. Peter, bold, rash, said some doofus things along the way. I've always talked about Peter, you know, he's one of those guys that the only reason he opened his mouth was to change feet. I mean, he was always, always had foot and mouth disease, right? Always had it going, right? Paul was Saul, persecutor of the church, was responsible for being people being hunted down in prison stood by while one was killed John Mark washed out on a mission trip homesick Paul's initial thought was just leave that baby home I'll never take him anywhere again God uses him to write a gospel God uses cracked pots I love the way Chuck Swindoll talks about it when God forgives he forgets He is not only willing, but pleased, pleased to use any vessel. Now, this last phrase is important. Just as long as it is clean today. As long as it is clean today. Not that it has always been clean, but as long as it is clean today. As long as it has experienced the cleansing that only comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. As long as today, seeking by God's enabling spirit to walk in obedience and submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. If that's your story today, God is pleased to use you. Doesn't matter what your past has been. 
bit. doesn't matter uh, the depth of the failures in the past, that God will be pleased to use you if you are clean today. Realize, if I'm going to reach forward, hey, God uses imperfect people. God uses cracked pots. And out of that, I need to focus on my relationship with God. Listen, if, I, if God is going to move through me, if God is going to move through my failures, I have to focus on that relationship with God. No, notice how, how Paul kind of uh, bookend these scriptures that, that we read. He, he talks about because, in verse 12, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why, why can he forget what lies behind and strain forward to what rises ahead? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In verse 14, he talks about the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He came to understand God grabbed a hold of me. God laid a hold of me. God got a hold of my life in Jesus Christ. He called me to himself by his mercy, by his grace. And that is the story of every follower of Jesus Christ. And not only are we called to him, but we are uh, called to join him on mission. There is an upward call that he has placed upon our life. There is something that he wants to uniquely do through every man, every woman, every person on this planet that he calls to himself. Yes, he knows your past. Yes, he knows your failures, but he wants to use them. He wants to use you, but it won't happen if you focus on your past. It won't happen if you focus on your failures. It'll happen as you focus on your relationship with God. Jesus gave us that wonderful picture in John 15 of the vine and the branches. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, if you focus on your failures, you're not going to fulfill God's calling. If you focus on your sin, if you focus on your inability, if you focus on your, your mistakes, you're never going to be the person God's called you to be, desires you to be, designed you to be. You're never going to fulfill the purposes He wants to live out through you. But as you focus on your relationship with Him, then you can bear much fruit. For apart from Him, I can do nothing, and you can do nothing. As we reach forward, we realize God uses cracked pots. Cracked pots who focus on their relationship with him, but also who learn from their past, but move forward toward the future. And that's part of the art of dealing well with failure. I have to learn from my past, but move forward toward the future. I need to begin to, uh, again, think about how I view failure. That failure is feedback. Failure is feedback. It's giving me information maybe I did not have, that, that this isn't working or, or that, that's not happening or whatever it may be along the way. Failure is, is feedback. Thomas Edison was, was, was famous for, for saying when folks said, don't you get discouraged all the times you failed. I mean, you're, you're trying, the, you're inventing these things, all these experiments, and you have, have way, 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 way more failures than successes. Thomas Edison said, not at all. I just look at it like I learned one more way that won't work. One more way that won't work. He learned something from his 
failures. Henry Ford famously said, failure is the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. And that's only if you learn something, though, right? If you didn't learn something, you're not going to begin again more intelligently. You might begin again, but it won't be intelligently. I have to learn from the past. And that, that doesn't happen by default. There are people who experience failure and never learn from it. That's why it's important to ask questions. A couple of key ones. What can I learn from this? When you encounter failure, and you will... What can I learn from this? God, what are you teaching me? God, what are you teaching me? What can I learn about God in this? What can I learn about myself, my strengths, my weaknesses, my tendency, maybe some hang-ups from my past or whatever it may be? What can I learn about others? Maybe I'm learning uh, some things about some of the people in my life and some things they're good at or bad at, some things that, uh, that, that maybe they even have some growth edges on or something. What am, I lear- what am I learning about reality? We have to learn to deal with the world as it is, not as we wish it to be, Right? And sometimes we say, oh, I wish the world were this. I wish the world were this. I wish it was this. Oh, oh, I wish, you know, sometimes you hear folks in our country, oh, I wish it was more like it was back in the 19-whatevers. It's not. I don't know what your reality is, but that's where you're called to live. And sometimes failure causes us to have to face reality. And so, God, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? Someone said failures isn't failure unless you fail to learn from it. If you fail to learn from it, then it's just a failure. But if you learn from it, it can propel you forward. And a a parallel question is, what is the opportunity in the midst of this circumstance or situation? Okay, I failed. What's the opportunity? Maybe it alerts me, I got to grow. I I, got to learn a new skill. I got to learn how to relate to somebody. I I need need uh, uh, to reach out to other people. I need uh, a better team or I need whatever it may be. Or I I need to to, to try a different approach. What is the opportunity in the midst of this circumstance or situation? And as you learn, as you focus on your relationship with God, Harness the power of transformational relationships. Those who navigate failure well don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. But they not only have that, that focus of their relationship with God, but, the, but they also have people around them, people who love them, people who know them, people who encourage them, maybe people who will say, hey, dude, yeah, you know, the reason you keep hitting that wall is because dot, 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 dot. And we, we need to experience those kind of relationships. A few weeks ago, we were in the midst of the series on vision and values, and one of our values is transformation relationships because we know we know that God uses us in one another's lives it's not just about the horror the vertical but it's also about the horizontal that's why scripture again and again encourages us to be invested and involved in one another's lives Hebrews says let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How we need those people in our lives, particularly when we experience failure. We need those encouragers. We need those folks who will come alongside and stir up love and good works in us. We don't need to be isolated in our failure. The enemy isolates Christ 
Christ draws us together. We not only need Christ, but we need the body of Christ. We need those transformational relationships if we're going to navigate failure well. Harness the power of transformational relationships. I I love the way that President Teddy Roosevelt kind of talked about this. I think it kind of captures maybe this, this thought of reaching forward to what lies ahead. Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. See, the enemy will try to keep you from moving forward with fear of failure or with beating you up with a failure from your past. Far better it is to dare mighty things. Even knowing that at times it will be checkered by failure than to sit it out, than to not engage, than to not fully live in obedience to God. You know, sometimes uh, folks tease me about, you know, they're doing three services on Sunday morning and all this, and they say, you know, you, you would hope that after three times you get it right or that sort of thing, you know, and I, and I, I kind of joke with them like that, but I, I've told several folks, told many of you, I said, I said, well, listen, 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 I look at it this way. You know, if you're a major league baseball player, if you get a hit one out of every three times, they put you in the Hall of Fame, right? I mean, man, you strike it, you know, you, you don't get a hit. You, you fail to get on base more than you get on base, they put you in the Hall of Fame. I figure I'm going to keep swinging, right? I'm going to keep swinging. I mean, one out of three, that's Hall of Fame material, baby. That's Hall of Fame, right? And in some sense, that's part of what it means to reach forward, to strain forward to what lies ahead. I'm not going to let the enemy take the fear of failure and keep me from pursuing God's best, from fulfilling God's calling. I'm not going to let the enemy of my soul beat me up the rest of my life with a failure from my past that has been forgiven and cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let that failure define who I am as a person and determine my life from this point forward. I'm going to allow the truth of God's word that I am an adopted child of God, beloved in Jesus Christ, to determine and define me as a person. I'm going to let the truth of God's word that it is God who is at work within me, both to, both to inspire and enable me to will and to work for his good pleasure. I, I'm going to just determine that God's truth is going to define who I am as a person and determine the choices I make in the future. I'm not going to do it perfect. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fail because I still got a belly button. But I'm not going to let it define me. And God doesn't want to let, let you do that either. Listen, failure is not optional. It's not optional. I mean, you, you may think, well, if I just don't do anything, if I don't risk anything, I don't, that's a failure. It will be a failure to live the life that God called you to live. Failure is not optional. It is inevitable. Get comfortable with it. The only question is not, will I fail? The only question is, how will we respond? How will I respond to the inevitable failures of life? And, and so let me close and just give, maybe give you three phrases to think about in that. 
You see, some folks, when they experience failure, give up. They give up. You know them. They're still functioning. And they're still paying the bills, doing normal stuff of life. But they're not passionately pursuing God. They're not passionately pursuing what God laid hold of their life for. They've let the enemy whisper so much that they've come to believe it. And so they've give up. They've give up pursuing God. They give up pursuing God's best. Don't give up. Instead, you can get up. You can get up. You know, there are times when you just say, God, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. This is not the, this is not the finale. This is a bend in the road, not the end of the road. You get up. And the, the picture I always have in mind, I had one of these as a little kid and got, got my grandson. One. He's, he's got one in the shape of a shark. It's one of those, you know, you blow them up and it's got sand in the bottom. You remember those? And you, and you just wail on those toys. I mean, it, you know, he just gives it the forearm shiver or whatever and just punches and it knocks it over. What's it do? <laughs> It just keeps popping back up. And that's part of kind of that picture of what it means to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Yes, I fail. Yes, I blew it. Thank God for his grace and mercy. Thank God for his empowering capability that I don't have to stay down, but I can get up. Don't give up, but get up. But I want to I just encourage you to think about kind of one level more. Don't just get up but grow up. Grow up. That, that, that is, I think, maybe the best response of all to the inevitability of failure. To say, God, not only am I not going to give up, I'm going to get up, but I'm going to keep growing up. I'm going to let this failure cause me to grow, to grow into the man, to grow into the woman that you want me to be, to refine some of those rough edges, to shape some character qualities within me, to cause me to, to seek out and develop new skills that I never had developed before God I'm gonna let this failure drive me to grow up many of us know the name of Sir Edmund Hillary Sir Edmund Hillary became quite famous on May 29th of 1953 on that day he and the, the Sherpa Mountaineer Tenzing Norgay became the first climbers confirmed to have reached the summit of Mount Everest Time magazine would go on to name Hillary one of the hundred most influential people of the 20th century. Incredible story. A lot of folks know the name, at least. Edmund Hillary, who got to the summit of Mount Everest first. What many folks don't realize is how many times he failed. Time after time, Hillary was part of expeditions that tried to get to the summit of Mount Everest. And time after time after time, they failed. And after one of those failures, Hillary tells the story that he was kind of back there on the, uh, on the base of the giant mountain. And he, and he looked up at this thing that had defeated him time and time again, that, that, that he hadn't been able to get to the summit. He failed time after time after time. And, and Hillary stood there at the base, and he, he shook his fist at the mountain. And he said, I will eventually defeat you. Because you're as big as you're ever going to get, but I'm still growing. I'm still growing. And each failure taught him something. 
and each failure refined an approach and added a skill until eventually they were able to reach the summit. Failure is not optional, it's inevitable. The only question is how will you respond? You can give up, and a lot of people do. You can get up by God's enabling grace and power. But I want to encourage you to also use failure to grow up. To grow up into the man, to grow up into the woman that God has purposed you to be. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Oh, Father. Lord, I... I, I, I thank you. I thank you that you use failure. And, and honestly, that's hard. We don't like the word. We don't like even that being associated with us. But Lord, to know that you use failure. You use failure to shape us, to mold us, to redirect our lives. And so, Father, I, I pray right now. I, I pray, Father... For every one of us in this room, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to own our failure. To just be honest about it. But Lord, not just to stop there. But Lord, just to come to you and experience your cleansing, your forgiveness, your healing, your restoration, your direction, your empowerment. And Father, I just pray, Lord, would you just remind some people in this room this morning that you're not finished with them yet that their past doesn't have to define who they are as a person or determine their future. Lord, would you remind them of who they can be in Christ Jesus. And Lord, even, even in these, these moments, we just present ourselves before you. Would you take the failures of our life and grow us? Grow us into the man, the woman, that you have called us to be. And as you just continue to sit before